Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,371. This week, we're celebrating the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion. It takes place August 16th through the 19th at the spectacular Laguna Seca Racetrack. Buckle up and be prepared to go racing and be inspired too. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in warm always warm in Phoenix, Arizona, with a very special guest by the name of Jonathan Orenstein. Jonathan, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Good to have you here. Now, before we begin and we talk about a uh, really fun hobby you have, something I used to do, vintage racing, I wondered if you would share one little thing about yourself that maybe people don't know about you. Well, you know, it's interesting. One of the things I think about, particularly in the car world, is Growing up in New York, I actually didn't have a car until I was in my late 20s and uh, didn't really pay much attention to cars in New York. I like motorcycles, but I, I literally did not have a car until I was after I had graduated college. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's so foreign to the way I grew up, but uh, I didn't grow up in a, <laughs> yeah. in a big city. I grew up on a coastal beach town north of San Diego, so having a car was uh, paramount to getting my surfboard to the beach every day so I could go surfing. So, yeah, yeah it's kind of an odd thing for s- many of us to think, how can people live without a car? But when you're in a big city, there's lots of options, so there you go. But today... You are into cars, so let me give you an introduction, and we'll dive into what you're doing. Jonathan Ornstein is a vintage racer who has enjoyed lapping tracks for over 20 years. After riding sport bikes for 30 years, he began vintage racing in a 1973 Porsche 911, running his first race at Phoenix International Raceway. I love Porsche 911s, my car choice. Since that first race, Jonathan has raced a wide variety of vintage race cars, including a B sedan, Datsun 510, Peter Brock is smiling right now, to a Mar- Mario Andretti, Formula 5000, Lotus 70. My hat's off to you for racing one of those monsters. While racing primarily in California, Laguna Seca, Sonoma, Fontana, and Willow Springs, Jonathan has also raced at Road America, Coda, Sebring, Daytona, and Watkins Glen. You get around. He had the honor of being invited to race in Australia at the incredible Phillips Island Formula One track. Jonathan's favorite race cars are his 1978 Datsun 710, an 89 Oldsmobile Cutlass Trans Am car, and the striking polished aluminum bodied 64 Webster Special, of which they only built three of those things. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors. So give them a little love. They keep the petrol in the tanks here, and we'll be right back. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and first-hand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up. 
way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. So, Jonathan, now I understand you work in the aviation industry, so maybe you can touch on that just a little bit, and then we'll dive into this passion you have for strapping yourself into old cars and driving fast. But tell me first a little bit about your background. Well, I came out to California, and uh, that's where I think my love affair with cars actually began. And I went out one summer, went back to college, came back the next summer, and just never looked back. And I actually dropped out of the University of Pennsylvania, was in California, got a job in the finance industry with a company called EF Hutton. A lot of people may have heard of it. Oh, yeah. Right. And uh, I enjoy finance, but it really wasn't the kind of passion that I had, which I've always had for aviation. And just by chance, I got involved with a tiny little airline in Los Angeles called RLA Flying, two little nine-passenger airplanes to the Grand Canyon for tourism. We leased a plane from a, another small company called Mesa Airlines in Farmington, New Mexico. Uh, I'd never heard of it, never heard of the town. And I became friends with the president of Farmington. And before I knew it, he'd asked me to come out to Farmington. And we built up the little Mesa Airlines from six airplanes to over 200. Wow. And uh, it was just an incredible experience. The founder of the company, Larry Risley, was the, the best mentor in the world. I view it as a real big change of life and just really made things come together for me because finally I wasn't working. I was doing something that I really enjoyed every day, just coming in and being around other aviation enthusiasts. And we all were, whether they were people flying the airplanes, maintaining the airplanes, everybody had the same enthusiasm. And the New York Times wrote a little article about us and it said the little airline that could. <laughs> and uh, that's how we felt. It was really been an incredible experience. And I've been CEO now at Mesa for 25 years. I joke around. It's with my new hire employees, I tell them I'm the longest serving CEO in the industry. And they're all sort of, wow, that's great. I go, yeah, that unfortunately also makes me the dumbest. And, <laughs> I don't uh, know about that. You know, most people, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough industry. Most people can retire, but I just don't see myself retiring. I, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I still enjoy it. And uh, most importantly, I really love the people I work with. So uh, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. Well, you've discovered the secret sauce to life, and that's why I started this podcast, was to interview inspiring automotive enthusiasts, people who figured out how to wrap their careers and lives around their passions, which in this case is automobiles. You've done it with aircraft, and as you know, a lot of people go through life very successful, whether financially or in their careers, but it's not what they love. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you've discovered that is magic, and there you go. So I think being a CEO, as long as you want to be it and keep playing in the industry, why not? Before we get into your life in race cars, though, can you describe Mesa Air? How does that, for the, the average guy like me that flies Alaska back and forth to Phoenix to visit my family, how does Mesa Air fit into the, the world of aeronautics? 
Oh, yeah, sure. So Mesa is a regional airline. Uh, back in the day, we flew 19 and 30 passenger turboprops. And as the industry progressed, Mesa progressed, and we had partners with primarily United Airlines, but we've been partner, had partnerships with American and Delta in the past. Now we are focused on our United Airlines operations, uh, where we operate out of their hubs in Houston, Dulles, and Denver. Uh, we also have a where we operate 76 passenger regional jets on behalf of United Airlines. And then we also have a 737 cargo operation uh, that we operate uh, in partnership with DHL. So those are the two prongs of business. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's a hectic business. The regional business is tough right now. Uh, there's been a, a, a basically a national pilot shortage, and it's just put a lot of pressure on the business. But we've had our challenges. You know, when you've been around for as long as I have, you've seen a lot of difficult situations in aviation over the time, whether it's fuel prices or, you know, 9-11 or, you know, just bankruptcies. It's just a tough business, but kind of what makes it exciting because every day is different. Awesome. Well, congratulations to what you guys are doing. Let's dive into your uh, racing career. Now, you've been racing for a couple decades plus here. Um, what got you into vintage racing? Because being an ex-vintage racer, I mean, I know the draw. It's just so much fun. Uh, but what got you into it? Well, you know, I guess, as I mentioned, I have been riding sport bikes for a long time. I thought, well, it might be nice to race. And I don't know, I, I started, you know, I was in my early 40s and I thought, I'm not sure I want to crash and turn nine on, in Willow Springs <laughs> for the sport bike. No kidding. Which everyone does. And so I thought, you know, maybe I ought to just do something in cars. And I had a very good friend of mine out here, Steve Hilton, formerly with Meritage Homes. And he said, why don't you get involved in racing? And I looked around and uh, the fellow he uh, sent me to, Chris Hines at Arrow Lane, had a Porsche 911 that he had for sale. And I bought that car and we, I started racing with Chris in the 911 and, you know, it becomes very addicting in a positive way. And I just, I started running, like I said, I did my first race at PIR. The 911 was a tricky car to be, a, to start racing on. It was a big motor car, 2.7 liter car. So it was challenging. I remember the first race that I won. I, I, it's just wild. I won a race. It was a rookie race at Willow Springs in the rain. And my mechanics kept telling me, oh, the rain is your friend. The rain is your friend. And I'm like, I don't know what they mean by that. Yeah. But anyway, I won the race, but I only, and I only spun, I think four times. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> yeah. Well, the oversteer on a 911, they'll bite you every time, right? Right. Well, particularly when the track, I mean, there was water on the track and I think the marshal just let everybody slide a little bit and uh, didn't call me in after my third spin. And uh, it was just one of those crazy things. I mean, everybody was all over the place, but I was determined, even if I was you know, going 40 miles an hour into turn one, I was going to finish that race. And so uh, it, was, it was just fun. It's just something that you don't forget. And it becomes very addicting. I mean, there's just no doubt. It, it's like something that once you get it in your blood, you just, you just want to do it as much as you can. Oh, I understand. You, you brought back a great memory. My first race as a vintage racer in a 1960 Lotus Formula Junior was in the rain at Pacific Raceway. And I sat there waiting to go out, just my right leg shaking, going, what am I doing? This is crazy. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember Louis Shefshik, who runs a wonderful company, JNL Fabricating. They took care of my race cars. They restored cars. I mean, great company. Louis's been a, chef, uh, a guest here on Cars, yeah. And he came up and he said, how you doing? And I go, I'm a little nervous. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And I remember I've shared this before on Cars Yeah. He said, remember, Mark, the throttle goes both ways. 
So, yeah, it was the same way. Everybody, we were all rookies, and I was out there with everything from big block Chevys to uh, uh, sports racers, and I was this little, tiny, little sports car with rooster tails. And, yeah, it was just sliding all over. But you come in, and you're just like the adrenaline is fantastic. But you've raced some seriously fast stuff. I mean, I mentioned in the beginning, uh, Formula 5000, we had a group of those guys at Sovereign that ran, and I just used to go, oh my gosh. So as you maybe talk a little bit about some of the many different cool cars and some of the differences between them. Well, you know, it's interesting because what I loved about going to the track was I thought I knew a lot about cars. I mean, I'd become a car guy in California, and I thought, you know, I, I you know, really followed cars. You get out into a vintage racetrack, and all of a sudden, there are body styles you've never seen, brands I'd never heard of, engines that I didn't know existed. So I, I really like went into it full, full bore and just loved all the differences. And what really got me going was I drove the 911 for a while, but I, I actually started thinking to myself that the 911 was probably not the best car to start racing with because, like I said, it's challenging and the, the, the really quick to swap ends. And, you know, I wanted to drive it fast, but it just was one of those things where I thought I ought to take a step back in order to go forward. So I bought a, a little Datsun 510. And let me tell you, the Datsun 510 is just an incredible race car. I mean, it's super well-balanced. Um, the motor is great. They're very reliable. And frankly, they're not nearly as expensive to fix when they break, which <laughs> right. they do. And the, the B-Sedan group is a very competitive group. And so I started racing B-Sedan and, and with the 510 and just sort of built up my confidence. And uh, as a race car driver, I mean, that's clearly important that you know, you feel comfortable in the car and you know what the car is going to do and, and you know what the limits are and you can drive the car much faster with confidence and, and safely because, you know, in vintage racing, everybody jokes around. The only thing we're going to win is a plastic f- flag. There's no money. There's no women. There's not even any champagne. <laughs> I mean, it's literally just for fun. Yeah. And there's no reason to, to push yourself beyond your limits. So, you know, I raced the 510 for a while and then literally I was just by accident I was on eBay. We were at a race, actually, and there was a Datsun 710 for sale out in Kansas, and it had been in a garage. It was literally a classic, you know, barn fine car, and I bought the car sight unseen and had it shipped out, and my mechanic, who is possibly the best vintage Datsun guy in the world, he uh, hadn't seen the car, didn't know that history, but when I got it back, he looked at it, and he said, Jonathan, this car has tremendous history, and it was raced by, you know, all these famous drivers. And it was it runoffs a bunch. It won the runoffs and it really quickly became my favorite car. And it was a car that I could be competitive in. Um, it was just a step up from the five, the 510 going from a 1.6 to a two liter motor. It's a little more aerodynamic. It doesn't have the independent rear wheel suspension, but it still was a great car. And, you know, it gave me the opportunity to sort of really be competitive and run with a, you know, a, a, a big group and, and think, well, you know, I may not win the race, but you know, I'm also, I could be in the top five and it is nice when you're competitive and you, you feel a sense of accomplishment and, you know, everybody likes, you know, the, the group out there, I mean, we're all friends, but we're all competitors. And I think that, that really uh, tells what vintage racing is about. And the, the 710 literally turned into, you know, being my favorite car for a long time because of the fact that as it was reliable, um, it was competitive and it gave me confidence as a driver that I could run towards the front of the pack with that car. Well, you touched on a couple really important things when it comes to vintage racing. It's great for people listening who might want to do this 
And that is, yeah, don't start with a big monster car. And I've seen people do that and they get discouraged very fast or worse. They hurt themselves. Uh, Start with something not so crazy and also that has a large group because you can get to know these guys and gals and learn about the cars and they can teach you so much. And I found that was the greatest thing about vintage racing. Everyone's willing to help each other uh, get better. And uh, that's the key, right? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody becomes friends. And like I said, while we're competitive, it's a friendly competition and everybody will help you. If you need a part, you need this, you need to have your car pushed. Everybody's there to, to, to work together to do that. And there are some really good groups out there. I think the B Sedan group is a great group. The Formula Ford group is a big group. A production and C production cars are big groups. And, you know, what I did was just sort of work my way up the horsepower and went from one car to the next car to the next car. And, you know, just built up my confidence and, you know, became a good driver. And so one of the things I'm very proud of is that for 20 years, I've only had one black flag. And, uh, it, and it happened because I passed under a yellow that I just missed. Oh, I was yeah. just a little too into the yeah. race <laughs> yep. and I missed the yellow. And I, I, I said, man, why am I passing everybody so easily right now? <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, they've all slowed <laughs> all down, fella. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I saw, then I saw a guy waving a black flag at me and I'm going, uh-oh. Uh-oh, I'm and, in trouble. But, you know, I've been, I've been... I've been really careful. Uh, I don't want to cause an incident, you know, and so you do learn in vintage racing that if you don't, if you don't know you can pass, if you just think you can pass, you probably ought to wait and get to the point where you know you can pass. And so um, I think, you know, the drivers are very respectful of that. And again, it's one of those things that, you know, you feel really good when you go out in the track. And, you know, it's not to say I was talking to a guy when I first started and I said, he'd been racing for a long, long time. I was, uh, we were out on the, we came in and I said, man, do you get butterflies out on the grid still? And he looked at me, he goes a hundred percent. Yeah. Every time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're just sitting there, you're thinking through the track. You definitely, you're looking around who's, who's in front of me, who's behind me, you know, what am I going to do? And I said to him, I was joking. I said, I want you know, it's just crazy. I said, so, so why do we do this? And he looked at me, he goes, think about that feeling when you pass the start finish and they're waving a checkered flag. That's why we do it. Because whether you're in first place or last place, just finishing the race and seeing that checkered flag is a really, really great sense of you know personal accomplishment that you, you ran through this race and you made it. And I have to tell you, it's, it's one of those things where it just, that feeling just never goes away. And uh, running a good race is just a a really just a, a an incredible experience. Yeah, it is. You, you hit on all uh, all aspects of that. Let's talk a little bit about the upcoming Rolex Motorsport Reunion. I mean, this is an event that is taking place during Car Week, so it's the best week of the year, I think, as far as anything. And the Laguna Seca Racetrack is my favorite, probably because it's where I got my license. I want to get your impressions in a couple ways about going to these races, because that's what we're promoting right now. One is, as a racer the importance of racing at that track. And then also one is a spectator and the joy of being able to walk around and walk right up to cars, talk to owners, get a sense of what this is all about. And of course, we'll be at an iconic track that's been around forever and they just did a bunch of improvements. So it's going to be pretty cool this time. So let's start with the Motorsport Reunion. What does it mean to you? Well, I have to tell you, that weekend is in fact really my favorite weekend of the year i think well maybe after thanksgiving and christmas but i think that it's (laughs) just such an incredible time out there and the cars are amazing 
the crowds make it obviously really fun. People do get a chance to just come up and everyone just talks and you sit out in a lawn chair in front of the car and people ask questions and I, all the drivers love it. And I think too, a lot of drivers have a sense of duty, a sense of responsibility to maintain the historic uh, aspect of the cars and to see them out on the track and, and feel like, you know, this is a, this is a great thing to do, not just as for me as a race car driver, but, you know, sort of in honor of the people that drove them in the past and, you know, keeping that tradition up. And I, I mean, I know that when I go into a Formula 5000 car, and I'll tell you a funny story, uh, I was at a signing at Long Beach and Mara Andretti was signing uh, the cars, signing, you know, people's books. And I walked up to him and I said, you know, race car drivers put their names on the side of cars. He goes, oh yeah. I said, you know, I have a car, I race, but I can't, I just can't put my name on. He goes, why not? Because I got your name on the side of the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he just started laughing and I showed him a picture and he goes, Oh my God, I ran that car at Sebring. That is so cool. And I just, you know, there's just, and that's the history of it. You just would, I'd never in a million years think of putting my name on the side of that car. Of course. Yeah. You keep the heritage alive that way. Absolutely. And Rolex is the epitome of that. I mean, I remember one year at Rolex, they were, uh, Ferrari was the, 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 the mark that they were going to honor, which is obviously easy to do. And I look out on the track and there are probably 15, you know, vintage fifties and sixties, you know, Ferrari Tesserosas and GTOs. And you're thinking to yourself, Holy smokes. You know, they had five Le Mans winners out there. You know, it was just amazing just to see that and to see these guys really get after it on the track and race those cars. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. I love that weekend. Um, you know, everybody's on super good behavior. You don't want to embarrass yourself. No, not that of, weekend. You no, know, a big crowd of people. No, that's one weekend. You know, I had an interesting experience one of those weekends, and I'll tell you is that um, I, for whatever reason, I, I brought three cars, and I was a little distracted at the time, and there was just some things going on in my life that I just wasn't as focused as I should have been. And I got to the, the one of the last couple races, and, I was ra- and the last car I raced was a, the Webster Special, and I went up to the guy at the time, Chris Vandergriff, who was the organizer, and I said, Chris, I've had a tough weekend. I, I never spin anymore, and I've spun both cars. And I just, I just don't know if I should go out. And he looked at me and he said, Jonathan, just run your race, take it easy, focus, and don't worry about it. You'll be fine. And that's what happened. I went out, I ran the Webster. It was a great race. And I thought to myself, you know, it was those words of encouragement that if he had said something different, I wasn't sure I would race again. Because again, it's that confidence. And that's the beauty about the track. And that occurred at Monterey Rolex weekend where the drivers and the organized mechanics, everybody supports you. And even at, at, at a point where I was I probably at my weakest at vintage racing, um, I got that encouragement and it kept me going. And I'm just so glad. I just can't even imagine what would have happened if I had said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm too old or, you know, I'm making too many mistakes or something like that. So Rolex has a, a really important meaning to me because I really do feel that uh, it's it's the epitome of racing for vintage race drivers. And to get invited, I've been there, I don't know, probably 15 times. It's it's just, just a fabulous weekend. Congratulations. When you think about vintage racing, is there an individual that's been a great inspiration or perhaps a mentor for you? Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And uh, there have been a number of people who I think have really been, been helpful to me. As I mentioned, uh, Chris Hines, who runs Arrow Lane, you know, he manages all the cars. He's a former NASCAR driver, and he has been very helpful in terms of, uh, you know, 
helping me and just keeping my, my racing on track. Les Candidate, who basically manages all of the Datsuns that I have um, down in Vista, California, also has played a major role. Because when you have confidence in your mechanics, it gives you confidence in the cars. And, you know, you literally are trusting those people with your life. And I think that, that those people have, uh, have, have really been um, really been a big part of, 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 of what's, you know, kept me out there racing. And then, you know, in, in both of those groups, there's drivers that in the actual, you know, race groups that people who have, have been very helpful to me. And I think that just being out on the track, I mean, there was, I was out at Willow Springs a few months ago and I was racing against John Morton. And oh, I just wow. thought, <laughs> yeah, what there's a name. I thought, what? Yeah. I mean, it was just amazing. And I, I just thought what an honor to be on the same track with John Morton and we're both racing Z cars and it was just, it was just unbelievable. So those things are very inspirational. Um, you know, and I've raced with a couple real, you know, Bobby Ray Hall raced in a race with me a couple times. You know, when I was racing, uh, I had a, you know, two liter sports racer. I, I think that each race you have that opportunity to meet someone new who can be helpful. It's been a lot of fun as a result of that. So when I think specifically, I think mostly the guys that I race with, and I actually give a lot of credit to the people that support the car, Chris and Les that have been there and, and really kept me going. So challenges, when it comes to challenges with vintage racing, I, the common ones are expense, cars breaking, uh, you know, all those things that kind of go along with regular professional racing. But what would you say to someone that wants to get involved in vintage racing is the biggest challenge? Uh, for me, it was always getting enough seat time. I never felt like I had enough seat time. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that the more you drive, the, the more experience you have, the better you'll, you'll get. I mean, there's just, there's just no substitute for that. Um, it's not cheap. And I think that people should be prepared that it's, it's, it's not an inexpensive sport. Um, and that's why I strongly encourage anyone who's going to start to start with like a 510, something that is inexpensive to operate that can be very helpful. I mean, one of the reasons why I went to the 510 is I will tell you never, you know, never failed to remind me, you know, you got to be deliberate in your shifting. And, you know, I, early on, I definitely blew up a few transmissions along the way. And I think that, you know, when you go in and you do it in a nine eleven, huh. it's a lot different than doing it in a 510. Yes. <laughs> you know? Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably 10 times more expensive than a nine eleven. So, and I'm not exaggerating. I, I really do think that's about what it is. And so, um, I, I think that if you start with a, like a, a an inexpensive car, um, you know, a, a, a B sedan car, uh, I think that that really will, will, will help people and, and you'd get better. And let me tell you, there's folks that go out there and, and they can drive the same car for a long time, um, get better and better at it. And also, you know, are less likely to break it because they know the limits and they know where to go and, um, and I think that that that's helpful. Finding the time is easy because I'll tell you, once you get out to the track and I don't care if it's at Laguna Seca, Sonoma, you know, beautiful tracks or out at Willow Springs, which is sort of my favorite track. I mean, once you're out to the track with all your folks and all your people and you're just sitting out like there in a folding chair, 
it's such a good experience that you always will find time. Right. And the great thing about vintage racing is you, it's like riding motorcycles. You ride sport bikes. I ride sport bikes. Is you focus so much on what you're doing, all the worries of the world evaporate around you. It's not like driving to work where you're thinking about all these things and you can't remember even driving to work. That didn't happen on the track or on a motorcycle. Or if it does, you're not going to be out there for very long. I liked that aspect of it. It just, everything else went away. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt being in the airline business, you feel like you got to be attached at the hip to these phones and it can be, it can be problematic. But when you get out to the track, you do, you lose all of that. And it makes you, because you do feel like you really have to focus. And, uh, there've been a couple of times I, I will admit where, you know, Les will look at me and just give me the evil eye and, you know, tell me, get off my phone. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's, but that's what he's supposed to do. So, uh, you know, it's okay. Like the team manager, if you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But it's such a great feeling to sit out there. I have to tell you, I take my son, we go out together and we can just have a great weekend. And as I said, it doesn't matter, you know, if it's at Sonoma or Buttonwillow. I mean, it just, it's all, it's all great. It's the same thing. Is there one special race car that you've had or currently have that stands out for you? And which car is that? I'll, I'll tell you what's interesting. I mean, the 710 has been my sort of go-to car, and it's I call it my low-stress weekend car because I have low-stress weekends, and then I have high-stress weekends, like running the 5,000, right? But the car that was really very instrumental for me, and it was funny because it was the least expensive car I've ever bought, was a uh, 1984 Corvette. And it was built and it raced at the, in the European Championship, 85, excuse me, European champ in the American champion series. And so it was a really, really great race car and it had a great motor in it. Uh, they had done a fabulous job on the suspension and the handling. I, I was told it had super expensive components and the car gave me confidence to drive a big motor car. Cause I, I just wasn't sure that I could get into a car that had, you know, 500 horsepower, you know, coming out of a, but the car handled so well, and maybe because it was a little newer, it just had a, a more forgiving uh, handling characteristics. And I did, I, I did really well in that car. Actually, I raced it at the raceways that you mentioned and, uh, you know, came in sec second in a race there with that car. And I love that car because it, it was the gateway to bigger motor cars and where I felt confident um, to drive uh, the cars. And then I, you know, I started racing my Oldsmobile Trans Am car. And an interesting thing happened with that car. I was at the track with it and two, two guys came up to me and they were probably, you know, 15 years younger than me, maybe a little bit, maybe a little more than that. And they looked at the car and they looked at me and they go, we heard you were going to be here. So we came out. I said, really? I said, I was like, sir, why would you want to come to the track? Cause you heard I was going to be there. And they said, we built this car with my dad for when he ran SCCA. And I said, Oh, that's awesome. And basically the dad had passed away. And they wanted to take the car and they asked me if I'd sell it and they could rebuild it and, you know, make the car back to what it was when the dad owned it. And it was like something they'd been thinking about doing it. And, you know, I couldn't say no, I just couldn't do it. And I, and I loved the car, but I said, you know what, we'll sell it to the two brothers and they rebuilt the car and they were, they, you know, sent me a lot of nice notes of how much they appreciate it. And, uh, it, you know, I, I was always happy that it made it back home like that, but you know, again, it, it, it did, it, it served its purpose for me. And, uh, you know, I bought the Trans Am car and I race the Trans Am car now a lot. And I feel really good in that car. 
And so I really feel that that Corvette opened up my eyes to a whole nother, you know, group of cars that I probably would not have raced. I hadn't owned that car for a couple of years that I did. Those big block cars were awesome. And I, I had several friends, so sadly, three of them are no longer with us. Tom Armstrong and Susan Armstrong raced some cars like that. And the Bruce Levin up here in the Pacific Northwest raced uh, those cars like that. So uh, I don't know if you remember Bruce, but he raced all over the place. He actually ran a professional racing team, Bayside Racing, back in the day. Ray Hall was one of his drivers, Hurley Haywood. I mean, some serious people. Really? Yeah, they ran Porsche 935s yeah. and 962s. And uh, yeah, but uh, Bruce loved those big block Chevys. He had a Corvette that he raced, and um, of course, this year at Laguna Seca Historics, they're celebrating 70 years of Corvettes, so that'll be kind of fun to see all the Corvettes they're going to have out there. Now, I have a little funny game I play with my guests. If I was to crawl into your head and ask you to think about if you were reincarnated, pun intended, as a vehicle, what would you be and why? As a vehicle? Wow. That is is a really interesting question. I think... uh, Anything Italian is probably too elegant for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd love to say I'd be a Ferrari or even an Alpha, but I don't think so. I love your honesty. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good. I think it is. My, I've had a I've had a real love affair with Japanese cars, and I think I would probably be a, a you know a first or early edition two forty Z. Ah, nice. Um, you know, I I just think a Z car again made a big impact out of nowhere, the Japanese just really took the market by storm with that car. And I, I'd like to think that, you know, it was almost a sleeper as a race car. And, uh, I think, I think that, um, I, I, I have a lot of fondness for a Z car. I, I, I drove one out from, from, uh, when I first came to California. So I, I, I'd say an early model 240 Z. I love those. Great. Bring back, bring back the concept of Peter Brock and the Japanese cars that he raced and uh, ran teams with. Mm-hmm. So very cool. Now, is there a, uh, perhaps we love books here on cars. Yeah. A great book you could recommend to our readers. It could be a business book, could be a car book, could be a racing book. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I love some of the old car books, particularly when you can, you know, you find uh, cars and, you know, that are, that, you know, and I just got a, a book, you know, this is a couple months ago and I've gone through it and I love the car. I uh, love the book. It's called Lost in Time. And it's a uh, Formula 5000 in North America by John Zimmerman. And I just love looking at it because the 5000 group was such an interesting group. You know, it was sort of like the U.S. answer to Formula One. And it has the history of all the cars. It has the history of the one race that was held between Formula One and 5000. And, uh, you know, and I, 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 it's just, it's just interesting because again, owning one of those cars, just, uh, it makes it come alive and you, and you see how these cars were run and what they were able to do in the past. And I, I enjoy it. I love, and I just love that book going through it. I, I read it cover to cover. Oh, cool. Um, you know, and the other thing too, I recommend to people to do if you're, if you get into it is it's amazing what you can find on YouTube. I mean, just amazing. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, a lot of film for very obscure races and uh it's really fun to see some of the cars out there that you see on the track you know racing back you know, in the day at ontario yeah it, it really is cool to see the cars running out at, at, at that time so i i do i spend 
I spend a lot of time on YouTube looking at old races. You know, I just get a kick out of it. I do the same thing. So before I let you go today, I'm going to enable you to have a little fun. And what this is all about is I'm going to park any race car at any track in the world for you to jump into and do some laps. So if you have the open freedom, I'll fly you there for free. I'll supply the car, the team, whatever you want. If you want to go to the Ferrari test track and drive one of their cars, I'll do that for you too. So what does the ultimate drive on a racetrack in a cool vintage race car look like for you? Or maybe it's a new race car. Maybe you want to jump in an F1 car. I'll tell you, that's a really easy answer. I have to tell you, I would love to run at Le Mans in a GT40. Ah, there you go. I just think that would just be, that would just be truly an amazing experience uh, given what was accomplished there. And I've always been in love with that story. And I just, I, I, I would, that opportunity would be great. It's one of my real bucket list items is to run at Le Mans someday. Well, they do have a vintage event there, right? Yeah, they do. And I actually have, I bought a car not that long ago, crazy little car, um, a Crosby hotshot that actually ran at Le Mans. That car what? actually ran at Le they Mans. They ran one of those yeah. at Le Mans? Really? Yeah, exactly. 1950. And apparently... It did really well till it had a transmission problem, but, um, it, you know, for, in its group, but it's a, it's one of the craziest little cars. And, uh, when I saw that it had Lamar history and, and it, you know, they had pictures of it at Lamar, I said, I, I'm going to have to own this car because someday <laughs> I'll make it out there and I'll probably be so old at that point. Having 60 horsepower is probably be might, the right number be, for Might be a little point. smarter for you to jump into. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I tell you, Jonathan, you've taken us on a fun ride today, and I can't thank you enough for taking a pit stop with me and sharing the fun you're having at Vintage Races. Before I let you go, could you share maybe some words of inspiration, a success quote, or a mantra of some kind that might uh, inspire those out there listening to think about Vintage Racing or at least attending a Vintage Race? Well, like I said, if, if you have a passion for cars, there's no better way to satisfy it than being on the track for vintage racing. And it's so much fun to do, fun to be out there. It's not just the race, it's the experience and it's the weekend. And I really encourage people, if, they, if they're if they looking for a hobby and, and they love cars, that this is a just a change my life. And I, I just think that it, it can have the same effect on other people and um, something that I just really hope that I can do right up to you know, my last days. I, I just can't tell you how much fun it is and how much I enjoy doing it. And I, I really hope that I could share that and bring new drivers in who will uh, take a chance and, and get out there and do it. I just think it's, it's, it's really fabulous. Absolutely. Hey, what's the best way for people to learn more about your company, Mesa Air? Well, you can always visit our website, www.mesa-air.com. We are always hiring. Uh, we have literally probably hundreds of open positions, whether you want to be a pilot and they're qualified, mechanic, flight attendant, um, dispatchers. I, I mean, it, this is a business where we're looking for people and we, we'd love to have someone call us and tell us you heard about it and come and work for us. It would be great. There you go. I'll put a link to that on Jonathan's show notes page, but they're easy to find. Great website too, mesa-air.com. And of course, if you can get out to the vintage races, the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion, this uh, August is going to, again, be taking place during Car Week and that they've expanded it in the last few years to four days of racing, the 16th of August through the 19th. This is the vintage event to attend. If you're lucky enough to be there, walk up to Jonathan and say, hey, I heard you on Cars, yeah? Jonathan, oh, by the way, before I say goodbye to a, a big shout out, thank you to Barry Topke who runs the track out there and your lovely assistant Jennifer who got us together today. I want to thank both of them for making this all possible. Jonathan, 
Thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and sharing your vintage racing passion with me and the Cars Yell listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you at the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion. Thank you very much. I really appreciate being here. <laughs> Thank you. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe, that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship. And their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!